0: Tom, I think this is a big deal. The SEC had been hinting for a while now, and SolarWinds disclosed that it was looking to hold some current and former executives at SolarWinds responsible for the huge data breach that SolarWinds brought into being.
1: That was Matt Kelly. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the award-winning Compliance into the Weeds. In this episode, Matt and I take a deep dive into the SEC complaint against SolarWinds and its former CISO, Tim Brown, for false disclosures about the state of the company's cybersecurity program in various public record filings, and more importantly, the implications for chief compliance officers going forward. If you've not done so. I hope you will leave us a review and subscribe to Compliance Into the Weeds.
0: brought into being in 2020. We can talk about exactly what that breach was in a few moments, but really what they are doing here with this case is trying to hold the CISO, Tim Brown, uh, hold him responsible for the poor disclosures about SolarWinds information security throughout 2018, 2019, 2020, Where basically the company was saying we have good cybersecurity and internally it seemed that the company employees were saying our cybersecurity is a mess. This all got kicked out onto the football field at the end of 2020 when this massive data breach became known and now mr brown is looking at some sort of civil penalties probably looking at trial we should note this is not a settled enforcement action these are allegations against solar winds which the company so far not surprisingly has uh, denied but uh, tom it raises the question about what sort of civil liability personal liability would a senior executive have for inaccurate or misleading disclosures that a company makes about the risks that it has? And I mean, you know, Mr. Brown could be facing very expensive legal action. Uh, He could be looking at monetary penalties imposed against him. The SEC is seeking him to be barred from serving at publicly traded companies. This is a real big deal And certainly for CISOs, now they have to wonder, could I face this? And I wonder if maybe this dynamic might apply to other executives in charge of risk, such as, say, compliance officers.
1: I certainly think uh, those are all valid questions that we need to explore, Matt. The facts of this case are, as with most uh, cases, unique to the individual case, but we've got some really bad facts here. And my question was, did I misread those really bad facts or is this the kind of internal communications that is routine within an organization where people below or even above may say, hey, we've got a problem here, we need to fix this. Uh, although when you admit you lie in emails or other text messages, that maybe takes it to a new level. But we've also got a series of Attestations or verifications, which allowed the CEO to sign the Form 8F, and I've wondered about the CEO's potential liability as opposed to Mr. Brown. So, if any of those questions make sense, you want to dive in there.
0: Sure. Let me first just back up a bit, Tom, and go through what actually happened with Solar Winds, which is now a couple of years in the past for anybody who might not remember all of the details. So, at the end of 2020, it came out that SolarWinds suffered a massive cyber attack, basically from the Russian government, uh, from agents and provocateurs or whoever you want to describe it. But these were instruments of Moscow who had attacked SolarWinds at some point in the past. I believe it was late 2018 or 2019, now it seems, that the Russians first gained access to SolarWinds And SolarWinds puts out software for big corporate customers to help them manage their networks. So the Russians attack SolarWinds, they plant spyware into SolarWinds program, which was called Orion. Then SolarWinds pumps out an update to all of those corporate customers saying, here's our latest version of Orion, please implement it, which they did. And now they've implemented Russia's software the spyware, so suddenly the Russians could see into the highest levels of the U.S. government. If I remember correctly, they were reading the personal emails of then Treasury Secretary Stephen Manukin, among others. They had access to the highest levels of large corporate corp, large corporations in America, colleges and universities. Like this was an enormous, enormous attack. That Russia executed. Some people say this is probably the most sophisticated cyber attack that has ever actually been launched so far. probably required thousands or hundreds of engineers in Moscow working on this for years, but they did it. And they did it by penetrating loose access controls at SolarWinds. Now, this all was happening in 2018, 2019. The Russians were worming their way into the Orion product. At the same time, here is SolarWinds telling investors that we have a secure software development life cycle. Uh, we take cybersecurity very seriously. We have a strong security-first mindset and all these other things that you would normally expect a information technology company to say. And on the inside, there were other employees basically telling each other that's not true. And, Tom, to your point, there is literally one email that the SEC now has on record from a mid-level IT security employee who apparently had affirmed that some cybersecurity issue had been handled. And then that same employee in the next breath tells one of his colleagues, well, I just lied. Like, that is the actual term. I just lied. And the SEC has that in an email. At another point, another cybersecurity employee within SolarWinds is talking to somebody else and in a company email says, I don't know how to un-F this situation. Of course, Weeds is a family podcast, Tom, so I'm not going to say the full F word, but we can all guess exactly what that was. So there are a lot of pieces of evidence here that don't look good for SolarWinds and Mr. Brown. They do paint a culture of you know frankly, deception and frustration that lower level employees were not conveying the urgency or getting it across to management that this is a total mess, and what we're saying to investors isn't true. Or maybe senior management did hear those messages. They knew that what they were saying on the inside was that everything's a mess, but they were still putting out public statements that everything is fine. For example, that's Secure Software Development Lifecycle, which at one point, Mr. Brown signed off on a document saying, yes, we have this. And internally, they knew that, no, we don't have that. We're still working on it. Uh, So there's an awful lot here that does not look good. And then, Tom, your final point about the former CEO. So the CEO at the time of the breach is a man named Kevin Thompson, We should note that Kevin Thompson departed the company at the beginning of 2021, shortly after this entire mess became public. Mr. Thompson does not hail from a cybersecurity background, as far as I can tell. I looked up his background that SolarWinds gave in the proxy statement. It talks a lot about his skill in business development and in expanding and cultivating software businesses, but those are not the same skills as cybersecurity. So, was the CEO Kevin Thompson relying on assurances from the CISO Tim Brown that yes our cybersecurity risks are well in hand and what we are disclosing about our potential risks is accurate did he rely on that because he's not a CISO by profession himself so therefore okay you know my CISO says everything's fine I'm going to sign the the form and that's that well clearly all of those those certifications and assertions were incorrect, who bears responsibility for that? Is it the CISO for providing incorrect assurances to the CEO? Do we have to worry about the CEO himself, you know, or herself? You know, are they how much can they rely on others for giving them assurances that they might not understand? You know, IT security is a complex matter. So, are we supposed to hold the CEO accountable for that if they're not trained IT security professionals themselves? You know, these are all very tricky questions, but it gets to this central core issue of this second tier of executives CISOs, general counsels, HR directors, marketing directors, compliance officers, internal auditors. If they're giving assurances to the CEO and CFO that turn out to be wrong, where does the liability lie for that? And that's what the CEO, the SEC is now trying to push with this lawsuit here, trying to define the outlines of that. And it could take us to some awkward places.
1: Matt, there were at one point in paragraph 10 of the SEC complaint, it says, quote, to be clear, SolarWinds poor controls, defendants false and misleading statements and omissions, and the other misconduct described in this complaint, would have violated federal securities laws even if SolarWinds had not experienced a major targeted cyber security attack. But those violations became painfully clear, when SolarWinds experienced precisely such an attack, end quote. And when I read that, it made me wonder, is the SEC saying that really to cover itself? Because we wouldn't be here with this complaint if there hadn't been a known cyber attack. Would the SEC literally have prosecuted a company, whether it's SolarWinds in the cybersecurity realm or ABC Energy in the compliance realm under the FCPA for poor internal controls, if the internal controls hadn't failed?
0: Well, that's a fair question to ask, and that is something that I'd made some notes about is when you look through the complaints, somewhere right around paragraph 10, I don't know if it's exactly that paragraph, but there were a lot of accusations against SolarWind that involved the word failure. You know, failure to consistently maintain, failure to enforce, failure to remedy, failure, failure, failure. Well, that is really an issue about remediation and the lack of it like if they're failing to do something they knew there was a problem they were trying to fix it and they didn't so they weren't remediating these problems but they knew that they had problems because they were trying to do something that does suggest that the problems here are about what you are or aren't accomplishing and what you're telling investors irrespective of any particular attack um so If SolarWinds had not experienced this painful cybersecurity attack, to make all of this blindingly clear, would there be a lawsuit right now? I don't know. But actually, Tom, as I was listening to you, one other similar case that came to mind to me was the Activision Blizzard enforcement action. I think it happened last year, where the SEC Filed a complaint and Activision settled it, I think, for 30 or 39 million or something like that. It was about poor disclosure controls for its HR risks because Activision was saying we take human capital very seriously. Recruiting the best and the brightest is always a major risk for us because we're a tech company. They're saying all of this. But on the inside, Activision, we now know, had a terrible corporate culture, sexual harassment and assault all over the place. So clearly, something was breaking down there they were trying to fix their culture but doing a terrible job at it while telling investors culture is so important because we have to retain the best and the brightest it is analogous to what we're talking about here that you know they talk about cybersecurity all the time it is so important to us because we are a cyber technology company and yet on the inside Employees are talking about how this is a total mess. We haven't done this thing we were supposed to. You know, we just lied to somebody about, you know, the state of our security. I don't know how to un-F this. You know, those are some pretty damning statements that suggest your ability to manage and improve your internal controls is deeply flawed. So that seems like it is an issue that is worth exploration you know, I can see the stakes involved here that I can see why solar winds and Mr. Brown in particular probably wouldn't want to settle this right now, and they probably do want to fight this, and this is a hill they're willing to die on. maybe if the breach hadn't happened, this would be a settled enforcement action for small beer i'm I'm not sure, but you've put your finger on the correct issue. I just don't know what the answer is yet.
1: Matt another part of the order said something along the lines of. There were, there's the NIST framework that cybersecurity functions are to follow. And the SEC there said there were approximately 400 internal controls cumulative in the NIST framework, yep. of which SolarWinds had less than half functioning. And I tried to think about that in the context of a chief compliance officer in an anti corruption compliance program. The closest thing might be the COSO internal controls framework which has five objectives, 17 principles, and 84 points of focus. Uh, there's no framework for internal controls by an industry or other organization in anti-corruption compliance. The COSO framework is the closest. Is that, number one, an appropriate analogy? And number two, if we does that mean if you're less than half of your internal controls match up to the COSO framework, you do not have an effective set of internal controls under the FCPA?
0: Uh, That might be a bit of a stretch. So, yes, that the COSO framework and the NIST (laughs) framework are both frameworks. Um, They are not necessarily comparable that the NIST framework for cybersecurity, which I have read, you are correct, that there are more than 400 controls there, Um, It is big and exhaustive and onerous because it is trying to provide all possible controls that you might need to address all possible cybersecurity risks. You don't actually need to implement all 400 of those NIST controls for a good cybersecurity program. You just need to be able to defend, we implemented 215 or 175 or 312, because those fit our needs for this reason. And here are all the remainder controls, which we didn't implement because they don't fit it for these other reasons. Uh, You know, it is an exhaustive process to implement a NIST framework for cybersecurity, but you do get to implement those controls that make sense and not the ones that don't. It is a very prescriptive thing. The COSO framework for internal control that we might use for SOX compliance or FCPA compliance in comparison is much more principles-based, which is probably going to leave some people shocked that I would say it's principles-based. Guys, it is principles-based compared to NIST, which, you know, that is like printing out the phone book if you want to print out the NIST framework. You know, it has 17 principles. It has points of focus. But there are a couple of dozen specific things that you should have in place for a good internal control framework under COSO. Um, But you can have a lot of discretion on what that actually looks like. And it is a very different experience when we're talking about cybersecurity and the NIST framework. Um, It is a much more onerous and daunting endeavor to try and figure out what you have to do for cybersecurity because cybersecurity is a much more difficult risk to try and understand how these things might work. There are new cybersecurity scams or attacks all the time, and your business evolves all the time. And I get it. FCPA people will say that's true for bribery risk too, but it happens on a much more slow pace. And really, it's always about a third party you know, lying on a spreadsheet somewhere and that kind of thing. So we can only take that analogy so far.
1: The, um, I guess the other thing, and I started, or at least tried to start to ask this, but there's, as we quoted several emails and, and communications back and forth within the cyber team at SolarWinds, and is this the sort of thing that every corporation is going to have, particularly when as you go down into the weeds with people who are more tactically focused on we don't have the highest, best use. We don't have the best internal control. We need to do this better. We need to do something here. And if, is that being criticized here or that's not fair? Is that a part of this enforcement action? Um, because if if all of that's correct, does that then say, not only do you have to be circumspect with what you put in emails, if you put criticism in, it can be turned against the company.
0: That's a fair question. And I'd love to see how this comes out in the ensuing litigation, assuming this goes to trial. But, you know, I do think that there's probably some sort of inverse proportion equation we could map out that the further down the org chart an employee is, the louder they are going to say we're doing it wrong. Um, And maybe those employees are correct. But it's also possible that they don't know what they're talking about, or they know what is correct in their tiny little part of the org chart, but senior executives are in charge of the entire org chart. So maybe there's some sort of balancing act that has to happen here. You know, I do think that, you know, we have to ask that, you know, how companies will think about disclosing risks. Um, we should keep in mind that the Securities and Exchange Commission just adopted a couple of months ago now, and it will go into effect early next year, these new rules for expanded disclosure of cybersecurity risks and events. In this particular case, with Solar Winds in this lawsuit, I actually think this points to the challenges around disclosing cybersecurity risks. Let's put aside the horrendous event that they suffered for now. But if you're a company, what are you supposed to disclose about how you tackle cybersecurity risk? If you're going to be honest and say, we're doing our best, but you know this could be a Mickey Mouse operation, we're not really sure, that's not impressive to investors. Uh, if you say something like, we take it extremely seriously, even though you know that there's this undercurrent, and the further down you go, the louder and swifter the undercurrent is, there is this undercurrent of employees saying, no, we're not doing this at all. And what they're saying in the 10K is not accurate. You know, Those employees may or may not be right. And they might not be right. They might not understand the complete picture of what they're talking about. So I think that this underlines the challenge of disclosing your cybersecurity risks in the 10K once a year and how you're trying to manage those. So often, Tom, I have been talking about the other part of that SEC rule uh, on disclosing the actual breach and what should you say, we could put that aside for discussion another day. But right now, this just you know points to the difficulty of knowing what should you disclose about cyber risk when it is so difficult, it is so fast moving, and there are so many moving parts and so many employees involved in it, and they might not fully appreciate the delicacy of what they should put in an email. And then if it turns up, you know, comes out in discovery two years later and it's in a lawsuit a year after that, it looks really bad. You and I are talking about how bad it really is. Was it really that bad at the moment, you know, three years ago when they made these comments? And like, I don't know yet. That's the sort of thing I want to see how that gets handled in pretrial arguments and what comes out at trial.
1: Matt, are there any analogies, are there analogies, comma, if any, comma? For the compliance professional from this enforcement action, we need at least start talking about now, even if we don't
0: have final answers. You know, I have thought about that, and Tom, I alluded to one earlier—the Activision settlement over poor disclosure of, you know, human capital issues and corporate culture, because many compliance officers are in charge of corporate culture. But if the the nugget of this lawsuit is that. The CISO made inaccurate disclosures about the state of cybersecurity risk, and they had a gigantic cybersecurity failure. I'm going to restate that is in the compliance officer context. The compliance officer was providing assurances about a strong anti-corruption program and then had a major anti-corruption failure and an FCPA enforcement action. You know, it's the same dynamic. The sentence has the same structure. I just dropped in FCPA and Chief Compliance Officer instead of cybersecurity and CISO. Does that mean that compliance officers might face lawsuits too? You know, if you're giving assurances about the state of your compliance program and you know the CEO takes that to the bank, they sign their form, and then it comes out you have a major FCPA issue that's going to cost a billion dollars to settle, did the did you make misleading or inaccurate disclosures? Did you provide misleading and inaccurate statements to the CEO that wound up in the 10K? Should you suffer for that? I think a lot of compliance officers would be very uncomfortable with that idea, but you know, like it was a pretty simple exercise to turn this dynamic around and say here's how it would look in the FCPA world. And it doesn't look very good and very pleasant for compliance officers. I'm hard pressed to think that the Justice Department or SEC would relish punishing a compliance officer. They've been saying for years and years, compliance officers are our best friends inside the company. But they probably have been saying for that about CISOs for a long time, too. And now here we are holding a CISO out you know, with a lawsuit that could derail his career. Maybe that's correct. Maybe it's not. You know, that'll all have to come out, as I said, in trial. These are only allegations. But it creates a precedent that could be transplanted to compliance officers, internal auditors, other types of risk assurance executives that I don't think any of them would welcome.
1: And I think your answer portends that we're going to have to visit this case and its implications down the road.
0: I think so, too, Tom. Thank you.
1: This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog posts for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century. Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting and compliance and AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again.